Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. We have the privilege of serving this community here, and we love this family, and it is a blessing to be here. So if you are a guest here, welcome. Uh, we have some uh, special friends here from other churches that are here because Mike and Penny Stevens are here. So if you're um, a special guest and special friends of ours, uh, Greg and Tracy, thank you for being here. I'm not going to mention anybody's names, but we just see some friendly faces that we don't get to see. Don, thank you. Awesome. Um, this morning, we have with us uh, an amazing couple. Uh, they are originally from the UK and England, Mike and Penny Stevens. Could you stand up where you're at right now? There's Mike and Penny Stevens. I'll bring them up in just a second. Uh, they are, have been in, they've been in the ministry for decades. I won't say how many. They, they know the number. But they moved to St. Louis in 1980 to pastor the church that my wife and I were in my, just after we were married. I think I was 21. Randy was 19 at the time. And Mike uh, assumed the position, Mike and Penny, of pastoring that church. And for the first six, seven years of my life, as a, a married person, my wife and I benefited from their ministry. Uh, how to love someone, how to hear God, how to grow as a believer. I was still very, very young as a, as a Christian at that point in my life. And, I, and again, I, I said it this week, and they led a marriage seminar that we had Friday night and Saturday. If you were here, you were blessed, you, were, you benefited. It was amazing, it was fantastic. Um, but Mike and Penny... This is, I think, the third time that they've been in this church. Uh, this church began in uh, September of 2013. And I just want to reference one thing uh, that, that happened in their, their history of this church. And, and I've said publicly that Mike is the best pastor I've ever met in all of my I've met lots and lots and lots, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not more, ministry people over the years. Uh, and Mike Stevens is the, the best most skilled pastor I've ever met. And so often you, you, know, you hear people say things or they quote things like, you got that from Ed, that's not your own. Um, so he's to blame. If you see things and hear things from me, uh, you can attribute all those things to Mike Stevens. We, my wife and I learned so much from this couple and they, they're just skilled shepherds in the house of God. And as you look back on your life, you're, you're thankful for the deposit that people put into your life and that's the type of couple that this is. But in, on April 6th of 2014, the church was probably six months old at that point. It was April 6th of 2014. We were meeting in another building uh, just down from Christian High School across from Fort Zumwalt North. And Mike came for the first time. Mike, Mike and Penny came that morning. And obviously, you know, I, we, we, we knew them well. And, and Mike came up to me. In the, I was sitting in the front, as similar as this. And he said, I have a, a word for you, Tom, and I have a word for the church. And I was, I was like, well, ab absolutely. He's very, very prophetic. And he came up that morning and he shared something out of Psalm 36. And I'd just like to read it. And if you've been in this church for a while, you'll, you'll understand why I'm reading this and why I want to note this. It's Psalm 36, but it's out of the New Living Translation. It's verse 5 through 10. Psalm 36, 5 through 10, New Living Version. It says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, and your faithfulness to the clouds, and your righteousness is like the mountains of God, and your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And this is the next two verses is what he honed in on. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see. O oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. And that Sunday, there might have been 40 people in the room. We were meeting in a basically a, a concrete gymnasium auditorium. There's a handful of people here this morning that were there then. And he got up and he prophesied that this church is going to be a breadbasket to the nations. And I looked around, you know, 37, 38 more than me. 
And it's just the very beginnings of the church, very early days. And as he said it, the Holy Spirit just said, and that is exactly what this church is going to be. It's going to be a breadbasket to the nations. And if you've been here for a while, that's a phrase I've used many times as we, whether we're serving into Guatemala or Haiti or India and to the different places around the world, that this indeed has been a breadbasket to the nations. So it was part of the DNA that Mike prophesied as he came. And that's one of the things that, just the giftings in his life is the ability to hear God and say what God would say to you in that moment. So we so appreciate this couple, um, just the imprint that they have placed upon this church, their heart, their serving nature as shepherds. And I, I, I and my wife in this church esteem you. We appreciate the investment into uh, Randy's and my life. Thank you for your deposit. It's an amazing, amazing couple. So could we all stand? Mike and Penny, could you stand, please? Just welcome them as they come. There you go, my friend. You probably won't need that. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much, Tom, for the lovely welcome. It's just a huge joy, privilege. We feel so happy to be here. I feel so happy to be here. Feel so much at home. Lovely to see old friends. Met new friends at the uh, marriage seminar. But the old friends are so precious, and it's wonderful to see them especially. And, um, and so lovely. So thank you so much. And uh, have a great time. And talk to you all later, I hope. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's a great privilege and joy to be here. So love Tom and Randy, have a lovely history together. Uh, you know, friendship is really important to us. Yes. And friendship, which is godly. And being interested in people's kids. I've heard about people's kids. And I mean, Greg and Frankie here this morning, and they've got grandchildren coming. And my mind is just blown, you know. I think, I can't be that old, surely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you reach 50, like me. I just, I just want to get something off my chest. A brother and his wife going to Congo. Could you stand for a minute, please? Young Cal here. Could you stand, please? That's it. And Olivia, don't bother to stand. But I know you're... Is she there? Oh, she's gone out. Uh, you can stand in for her. Uh, I just got one word for you. Watch out. Not in fear, but in expectation. The Spirit of the Lord is with you. You're young. But already you've got a heart of worship. So just receive more. Right now. Receive more. Very precious young man. And you follow God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Yes, yes sir. Yes, sir. Oh, God. You're beautiful. Just beautiful. You must be so blessed, sir. And Olivia and your sister... And the young man there, you may not realize it, but there is so much God has prepared for you. And as you love him, you'll release so much of God to your life. And for those that are provoked and said, oh, I wish you'd pray for me, at the end, I would like to lay my hands on you just briefly, and you receive what grace God has given to me throughout my life. Such a good God. Yes. And if you'd like that... Um, Guy prophesied over me this morning that I should uh, lay hands on people at the end and just say, hey, receive the blessing. So, um, the Word of God will impact us today. Amen. And um, I know you've been in a series from 2 Peter 3.11, which says this brief impacting, challenging statement. What kind of people should we be? Well, you've got to put the verse in context. Otherwise, it just becomes a pretext. And so we look at the verse before and after, and we get a little impression in the light of the verse before and the verse after. Therefore, what kind of people should we be? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's to those that are not expecting him. 
to those that are expecting him the day of the Lord is a day of great celebration and joy and magnificence and awe and overwhelming. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, dead scared, I would think. <laughs> you ought to live holy and godly lives because within that, you ought, is that slightly challenging phrase, you ought, because if you don't, there's a consequence. I think we should just iron that out of our Bibles, don't you? As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, the day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat and then God will restore all things and bring a new heaven and a new earth and we will live on the earth with Christ to reign with him forever. Yes. So the first coming of Jesus is directly linked to the second. And by anticipating the second, it brings life and meaning to the first. Jesus first entered the world through a birth in a humble, lowly stable. But in the second, he returns in a triumphant parade through the skies as the as the, as the clouds open and every eye will see him and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Yes. Quite a distinctive difference. In the first, he came to save a reluctant, dirty bride. But in the second, he comes as the bridegroom king adored by millions to marry his beloved. You. A lovesick passionate people yes. in the first he was judged in guilt and shame on a crude cross naked but in the second he's acclaimed the judge of all the earth of all the guilty of all the shamed who've rejected his cross and as the rewarder as the king judge for all of those that love him with all their heart you're looking forward to a judging God who rewards those that diligently love him. In the first, he initiated a kingdom from Jerusalem. But in the second, he's consummating that kingdom in every tribe, in every tongue, in every kingdom, in every city, in every village. In the first, it was a brief 33 years. In the second, he's ruling and reigning forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is forever? Forever. In the first, what was fully accomplished in that death and life and resurrection will be fully manifest throughout all the nations. In the first, he paid the price for our sin and sickness. And he defeated Satan. And he released the power of the Holy Spirit so that we could have an impact in and through our lives. Yes. At the second, he takes it another big step forward by openly manifesting his fullness in victory in every sphere of life. What a day. Can you imagine the power that's going to be released when he raises every believer from the dead, when he casts Satan finally into his eternal prison, when he fully transforms the earth in every area of society and every town, village, and city. And not only that, but when he transforms and restores the whole of nature and the atmosphere and even the universes, in the light of that, what kind of people should we be? My goodness, the bar is pretty high. I feel I should be on tiptoe with anticipation. 
reveling in the great mercy and grace of God that saved me for such a future. Penny and I used to visit China quite uh, a lot in the 90s and in the early part of this century. And we would go into the underground church, as they call it. And uh, we would go into these little towns in rural areas, which were quite quaint and very old. And still, the, they were surrounded by a wall. And you would go uh, to get in. There was, there was a single entrance to the town. And of course, in the olden days, it was there to protect the town and to protect the inhabitants of the town or the village, whatever it was. And they had houses built into the walls. And when you would pass through the, the one gate, they would examine you to make sure you were okay. And so that was the sort of places we visited. And apparently, when the emperor would visit one of these towns, he would wait outside in what was called a palanquin. Could you, th could you throw that picture up there? You can see that. So inside that scarlet box, which is called a palanquin, was where the emperor would sit, the potentate would sit, and he'd, he'd walk amongst his people, and he'd throw out and toss out the odd coin to the poor beggar here, and this is the emperor. And before the emperor actually entered the town, he would send somebody in front of him to prepare them for his coming. And so that person was called a, an ambassador or a forerunner, one who ran before to prepare the way for the one coming after. You following me? Yes. So I'm the forerunner, and I'm coming into the city, and I say, hey, did you hear what's happening? No, I didn't hear what's happening. Well, the emperor's visiting. He's at the door. He's just outside the gate. Are you ready? No, no, no. We were drunk last night. Well, man, you were drunk. I repent. You've got to get ready. I mean, the, the emperor's coming in. I saw you at the bar last night. Madam, what's this I hear about you? Five husbands, is it now? And Ed here, he didn't like me. I don't like the forerunner. I'm going to kill him. I want to hear that message. I'm content where I am. What qualities would you expect the emperor to choose in his forerunner? What kind of people? Are you understanding where I'm going? Yes. So let's look at Matthew 11, where Jesus asks a question, the same question, three times in three verses. Matthew chapter 11. John is in prison. John was John the Baptist, who was this man who bridged the old to the new covenants, and he was called a prophet. But he was also called a forerunner. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What kind of man did you go out into the wilderness to see? Verse 7 says, a reed shaken by the wind? Is that what you expected to see? Well, here comes the question again the second time. What kind of person did you see? What kind of person did you go out? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Verse 8. Well, then what did you go out to see? Third time. A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I sent... This is Isaiah... Behold, I send my messenger before you. What's another word for messenger? Forerunner, Forerunner thank you. Behold, I've, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That is a statement. No one greater than John surely must have a message for you and I. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent 
take it by force. Well, let's look at this first question. What kind of man do you expect? A reed blown by the lusts and the attractions of this world? Is that what you expected in a prophetic man? Is that what you would expect in a prophetic church like this? Is this what you would expect, the kind of quality of a prophetic people who are preparing the way for this event, which is the crashing back into history of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? A wind blown by the wind. Just a reed, a weak reed. You know, don't mind a little bit of compromise. I mean, you know, everybody's doing it, aren't they? I mean, Little bit of sex before marriage, you know, not the whole thing. I mean, you know, I don't get children or nothing like that, but hey. Well, you know, government's not doing so well at the moment. I don't see why I should pay all my taxes. I mean, I'll give them a dime or two, but, you know, a little bit of stealing here and there. It's okay, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb and be distinctive in our society. I mean, you know, you've got to meld in and make friends with the world a bit, right? Is that what you expect? Blown about? Well, you just got to try a bit of cocaine, you know? I mean, shoot. You never try it. How do you know what it's like? Is that what you expect? This wind of doctrines blown about is called a foot in one world and a foot in the other. And if you stay like that, eventually you'll be split right up the center. But if I put my feet together, I'll stand in the place where God has put me. What protects us? In John 5:35, Jesus, sorry, John 3:29, Jesus speaking of John says this. I think. Is it up? Yes. Good. He that has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him. See, you say, well, I thought, am, am I the friend of the bridegroom, the king, or am I? I thought I was the bride. No, I'm the friend of the bride. No, I'm the bride. What, which is it? Both. In your identity, you are the bride. We are the bride. In our service, we're friends of the bridegroom. And we introduce people to our friend. And speaking of John, he says, this is John and he, he stands and hears me. And he rejoiced greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And this is my joy, therefore is made full. So John, you know, we think of John as this weird prophet with a locust leg hanging out of his mouth. And, you know, the, the, you meet these people who claim to be prophets. And they, they, they've got this beady eye and you walk around and he's there looking at people in the meeting. And you feel like, don't pick me out. That, that is not, that, that, that is a sham. Yes. This man was full of joy. He was attractive. He wasn't a weird person. The prophetic community is not weird. We're prophetic, we're like Jesus. They're, people love Jesus. Yes. And John was full of joy from his mother's womb. Yes. Do you remember when Elizabeth came to meet Mary? And she's, they're both pregnant. She's more pregnant, Elizabeth, and she's a lot older. And she says, hi, Mary. Mary goes, whoa! Elizabeth goes, whoa! The babe leapt in my womb. Listen, God prepared you before the creation of the world and he put you in your mother's womb and he says, I want you and I'm going to call you and I'm going to bring you here to St. Peter's one day to be part of a community which is apostolic and prophetic and evangelistic and full of joy. Don't get too excited. 
He leapt within his mother's womb. He started dancing and singing within. And he hasn't even arrived yet. He's only going to have 33, 33 years, just like his cousin. Isn't it awesome? Now, when I was dating my wife, she was up in London, and I was, I was about 30 miles away in a little town. These were the days that you put your finger in the telephone, and you went like that, and you took it out, and it went down again, you know? How many of you remember those days? You liars, come on. <laughs> and I would call Penny, and she'd answer the phone, and she'd hear my voice. She'd say, is that you? Is it really you? I go, yes, it's me. <laughs> Do you know, <laughs> I was in China one time and I called home. This is like <laughs> 50 years later, 40 years later, and here comes this voice. Is it you? Is it really you? It was joy at the bridegroom's voice. Listen, when we read these scriptures and we stand so conscious of sin instead of conscious of righteousness, there should be rising up a joy at the bridegroom's voice. When I saw Jesus not just as my savior, not just as my healer, not just as my deliverer, praise God, not just as my king, but I saw him as my bridegroom king and judge, it revolutionized my life. He loves me. Yes. I'm his favorite. Yes. <laughs> we have six children, one in heaven and five here. And Susie comes up to me one day and she's a little child and she says, Daddy, I'm your favorite, right? <laughs> I say, yes, Susie, you're my favorite. Peter over here says, what do you mean she's your favorite? I thought you said I was your favorite. You're both my favorite. Yeah. You see, in our minds, we think... I like chocolate chip ice cream first, if it's available, then I'll have caramel cream, then I'll have chip doughy, whatever. <laughs> but I got this order of preference. This is my favorite. Well, God doesn't think like that. He says, you're all my favorite. Now, you may think that devalues me then. No, it doesn't. You know, when I get nervous or I'm ready to get up here and Tom's introducing me and... I'm like, oh God, panic mode. What did I come for? God whispers, you're my favorite. I'm your identity. Do you know you're God's favorite? He really not only loves you, but he likes you. So we're commanded to, to love one another. But some people are really ugly. Aren't they? Poor guy is crying. In John 5, 35, I don't have this one, but what kept Jesus spoke of Jesus, speak of John. He says, John was like a bright and burning light. I want my heart to burn. I don't want to flicker out. I want to burn out for Christ. Because when you're on fire on the inside, which is the gift of God to us, I will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. We need fire to keep us from becoming dull. I need fire every day in my life. I need to get up in the morning. It's Monday tomorrow, you know. And, and the Kansas City Chiefs lost. And, and you're, I'm just saying. <laughs> and the fire's gone dwindling down. You say, oh God, I don't belong to this world. And what keeps us from this compromise, this reed blown by the winds of this world's culture, is a fiery heart. Let's ask God for fire. Yes. Now I'm not done. Don't think this is the end. We're just going to pray. God, send the fire again. Yes. Send the fire to me, God. I need it. I repent, oh God. I don't want a cold heart. I want a vibrant, 
fire-filled heart where you come with your fire and burn up all the dross in me, oh God. Change my life. Set me on fire again, oh God, I pray. Let the zeal for your house burn me up. Amen. Yes, yes, yes. Well, verse 8 of Matthew 11. Second time, same question. He says, what do you expect? Some rich guy in smooth clothing, latest jeans, just come down on my Cadillac camel. Just thought I'd check out the meeting. John the Baptist, I think his name is. Nice young man. Went to the bookshop, got everything. I can afford it. Oh, I don't want to get there too early, you know. They've got all that worship stuff going on, and then I want to hear John, but, you know, the worship stuff, you can, you know, it's okay. Poor, needy people need that stuff. He's not talking about wealth. He's talking about an attitude of comfort. Yes. Many, many believers in Jesus say, God, just give me enough to get through the day. Just make it pleasant. I just want to live comfortably. I don't want pressure. Just take me through. No, pressure is the anvil of your character for eternity. What happened to laying down your life, dying with Christ, suffering, pain, as well as joy? What happened to this paradox of the joy of the Lord, which is my strength? And I count myself as nothing. I died. What happened to he who has this hope in him will be persecuted? Whatever that persecution may look like. Just the pain and the suffering of sacrificing stuff. Verse 12. Write a frightening verse of chapter 11. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So I want my life, I I thank God that I have been born again into the kingdom, but there's a difference between in the kingdom and of the kingdom. There's a difference between you by the mercy and grace of God, having been transformed out of darkness into light, and come under a new kingship and a new reign with a new future, and you living the lifestyle of the kingdom. That's what Jesus is getting at in answer to this second question. You've leveled off. You've become comfortable. There's no passion to go anywhere and do anything at any time for anyone. And I, I mean, you know, the words are bouncing off the back of that wall straight into my heart. And I'm older than most of you in this room. I am not going to die impotent. Spiritually speaking. We've got enough children, honey. It's okay. (laughs) What's he talking about? The violence of the kingdom. See, there is a sign over the entrance to the kingdom. It says, only the violent. So at the end of this meeting, Tom and I have agreed. There's a small truck outside. It's got uh, machine guns in it. No? For real? And... We're going to equip each of you with the machine gun, show you how to cock it, how to get the, uh, the round into the chamber. And we're going to go out and do some evangelism in St. Peter's. Repent or you die. It's not, it's not that. It's not a military violence. It's not a self-effort human violence of aggression. It's the love and the mercy of God that leads people to repentance, isn't it? You know, every time I get this... Revelation of the goodness of God. It it makes me cry with repentance. I say, oh God. But I'm not sin conscious. I'm righteousness conscious. Because I'm aware of my state. I want to be of the kingdom, not only in it. And he said, the violent take it by force. Let's change the word violent. It means literally wholehearted. You shall love the Lord your God with all 
your heart and soul and mind and strength. Your heart, that's your emotion. Your mind, that's the way we think. Your soul, it's your personality, it's your being. Your will, it's your money and your time. Wholehearted. That we don't merely sing it, although we do sing it. But I want the singing to be transformed into my lifestyle. Augustine said this, you probably know the words. So I speak constantly of Christ. And sometimes with my words. The violent take it by force. Penny and I were sitting in a meeting with a man leading whose name was Brother Andrew. He was a friend of Corrie ten Boom. He was Dutch. And he developed a whole ministry of smuggling Bibles into Russia when the Iron Curtain was up. And he was taking this meeting and we were there listening to him. We were just younger. And... uh, at the end of the meeting, he said, uh, he said, okay, you want to give your life to Christ? We were already Christians. You want to serve God? He said, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, you come forward. We were the first down, weren't we? Do you know what? God has taken us just, I mean, we're ordinary people. There's nothing special about us except that we're British. Other than, <laughs> Sorry. Other than that, we're just ordinary folks, Honestly. And God has taken me into 72 different nations on short-term missions, preaching the gospel, passing on the good news to another generation, passionately, burning heart, a lot of discomfort. Yes. I remember being in China one time, and it was colder inside the building than what it was outside the building. We covered ourselves with everything, went to bed fully clothed. I don't think Penny was there that time, otherwise we'd have snuggled up and we'd have been fine. <laughs> But I was on my own, regrettably. And, and, you know, there was a measure of discomfort. And the food, let me tell you, they eat anything that moves. Went out for a meal with this person. He said, well, did you enjoy the meat? I said, yes. He said, do you know what it was? I said, no. He said, it was dog. I said, it was very nice. Very nice dog. I think it was a Pekingese. <laughs> Let me ask you, you ready to go anywhere, anytime, any, any place, anyhow? Yes. Oh, oh well, you've got children. So? Oh, oh, but I'm too old. Isn't it strange? First church I joined, I said, what can I do here? So you're too young. Now if I go back to that same church, they'll say I'm too old. I want to say it again, the brother going to, to Congo. Watch out. Not in fear. Watch out in expectation for something great for God to do. You're going. I mean, he's in his 60s. The priest retire at 50. That, that was in, you know, the tabernacle days of Israel. How many of you over 50? Okay, you've got plenty of resource, right? Well, it doesn't matter if you don't. God sends, he'll provide. This is an apostolic church, which means it's an Antioch. It's a sending church. It's a bread basket. It's not just food. It's people bringing the food, the living bread. You ready to go anywhere, anytime? You said, I just want to sit here in comfort, you know, live in a palace and just quietly die. God, help us. We're the the prophetic signpost pointing to Christ. This great event that's about to happen. This cataclysmic thing about which most of our earth is totally ignorant. Most of the church is ignorant for Pete's sake. Am I stirring you up a little bit? To good works? I'm going to ask you at the end of this meeting in a minute. Or an hour or so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to challenge you. You know Don Kasselbaum sitting out there? I know Don for 45 years. Don took every dime and invested it into the kingdom and still does. He's, he's actually touched a nation of Guatemala, yeah. let alone other nations that he's gone to. He just, you know what? He was not a... Amen. Oh I hope you're clapping Jesus. I hope you're clapping Jesus because it's him following Jesus. He was not a wealthy man, I know. Because he used to make me pay for his 
Dairy Queens. <laughs> <laughs> but little by little, inch by inch, he didn't wait till he was a millionaire. He started when he was in poverty, yeah. giving and going and yeah. going yeah. and giving. Amen. And he used to, I remember he used to stumble over his preaching and he didn't care. It was a burning heart. I want to go. I want to go and love God in my going. Or love God in my staying. Yes. It doesn't make you a great spiritual hero because you go to a place where the, where the mosquitoes are so big that when you sit down you're carried into somewhere else. Well, I believe when we went forward at that meeting with Andrew, God just took our names down. We were both in professional careers. There had been for over a decade. God just wrote the name down. Years later, he said, hey, you remember that meeting when you said anytime, anything, anywhere? Let's go. My military training was just an awesome privilege and it equipped me. Well, verse 9, the third time he asks the same question, what kind of people? You're going to be like this reed blown by the culture? You're going to be like this rich person just looking for comfort, getting fatter and fatter? He says, what kind of man did you expect? Verse 9, a prophet? Question mark. Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. So John the Baptist was not only a prophet, but he was more than a prophet. Why? Because he was a prophet who was also a forerunner. Yes. You see, there are some pro- people who say, well, prophets, you know, we're prophetic. And mostly it's pathetic. It's not, being a, be, making, just because I say, yes, I prophesy now and again towards people, does not make you a prophet. It means that you have the gift of prophesying. Yes. A prophet who lives, breathes, and eats the future. And measuring it against the now. He's like a plumb line that stands there and says, the wall's crooked. Now, we are a community of forerunners who are also a community which is prophetic. Which means our whole lifestyle is looking to the future and seeking by the grace and mercy of God to live our future now. That's what it means to be a prophetic people. And so it's not about attending a meeting. Good though that is. It's not, it's not about praying over young Cal there and, and giving him a prophet. Although that's good as well. It's that my whole being is eaten up inside with this man, Jesus, the, the first apostle and the great prophet, the wonderful evangelist, the rabbi, the good, the chief, and the great shepherd. More than a prophet. I was in Africa one time and I was with this man and we were by this river. And I saw this current moving. I saw these sticks in the water moving. I said, what is that? He said, that's an elephant. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, the elephant is walking through the river on the bed of the river and he's breathing from above. Through his trunk. I said, that's amazing. See, you're an elephant with a trunk line into heaven. You're born from above, and your whole life is breathing from above. It's called living in the spirit. It's very simple. Put your trunk up. Say, Jesus, pour your life and your breath into me. I want to walk through the river of filth and pornography and disgusting, smelly world. And you know what, Lord, if you give me a bigger trunk, I might be able to transform some of this water around me. So when you look at John the Baptist's life as a prophet forerunner, he was very bold. He wasn't shy. And he was even abrasive. I mean, 
should never sit at the front. <laughs> this is one of Herod's courtiers. Speaking to John. Now, John, you know, we know, you know you're a prophet, and you're even more than a prophet, but, you know, you're going to see the man today, and uh, just need you to be um, polite, you know. So when you come into his majesty, you, you, you go out backwards like this, and you don't speak until he speaks to you. That's very mm -hmm. important. Got that? Okay, got it right. Okay. And, uh, you know, God be with you, you know, because his wife is a monster, let me tell you. Okay, what did John do? He goes in, Herod, you adulterer. <laughs> what? Thank you. So there is this element of the confrontive boldness, not to be aggressive, and whether it offends or not is not the point. It's doing the will of God. But not only was he bold, but he was also humble. At the end of this passage in Matthew 11, it says, he was not worthy to untie the shoelace of Jesus. The character quality of humility and meekness is like a magnet. It's a magnet that attracts the grace of God. Some years ago, I don't know how to what degree I've achieved it or not. My wife would be the best judge of that. But I set my heart to humble myself. I wanted a meek spirit. I recognized that I was arrogant and proud and insecure and, and you know, all of those carnal things. And I set my heart. I, I want to be a meek man. Meekness is not weakness. It's bridled strength. I see that quality in you, Tom. It's beautiful. A man who constantly puts himself down that he might be lifted up in the grace of God. So although this prophetic community which we are, we're bold, but that doesn't mean to say that we're arrogant. We've also got this beautiful, attractive magnet spirit that draws grace. For he resists the proud, but gives grace. grace. How many of you want grace? Then humble yourself under the mighty hand of God every day, especially with your wife. That's where the rubber... Above all, he had this passion. He was this bright and burning light which led to his martyrdom. We are a martyrdom community. If you've already died, then dying again doesn't make any difference. I was talking about these things in Russia one time at a university of students that were medical students, and they, they would go to this St. Petersburg because it was much cheaper to get your medical degree there, and there were a whole bunch of them there and from all around the world, and um, I was talking about martyrdom. And... Uh, at the end of the message, I did something which I thought at the time was very foolish. I said, well, come forward, all of those who are willing to die for Jesus, physically die. And then I turned away and thought, what did I say that for? That, that is stupid because I was interested in how many people would come forward, right, to authenticate the message. So I turned my back. I thought, I was so embarrassed. And I remember it was a wood floor, old wood floor. And I, I heard a, a a chair squeak. And, and when I looked round, everybody, every student except one, had come out and they were kneeling on the floor and the floor had puddles of tears. I was overwhelmed. Young people willing to go lay down their lives as martyrs. Some of them were martyred. When the full number of the martyrs who are crying out beneath the throne of God right now is met, he will come. Yes. And martyrdom doesn't necessarily mean that your head is cut off, although it may. 
like the guy who went to East, West Africa recently. Came in and they shot him. His wife's gone straight back out there with their kids. Came here from, he came from here, from St. Louis. What's his name? What's his name, darling? Yeah. Well, to finish off here, verse 12. Let me just draw your attention to verse 12, please. Verse 12, he says, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But he was the greatest man born of a woman. We've just expounded on, on this incredible prophet man and what he has to teach us. What does it mean that the least of you is greater than he? How many of you are in the kingdom? So that makes you greater than this man who was the greatest man born of a woman. In what way are we greater? Well, in, the first way is in power. For John the Baptist, we read of no miracles because the Spirit had not yet been sent. If you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet, although you've been redeemed by the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, you could be filled with the Holy Spirit today. And in that sense, we're greater than John in the sense of greater power. Jesus said it, didn't he? Greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. I'm leaving you to do my work, but I'm also empowering you to do it. And secondly... In privilege. John had the privilege of preparing the way for the first coming. We have the privilege of preparing the way for the second coming. Greater than John. What a incredibly privileged, humbled people we are. These are not just individual things for you, but it's a corporate John the Baptist community, a people who are a prophet people, breathing from above, uncompromising in their values of the kingdom, not only in it, but of it. Not looking for comfort, but looking for a cause that will demand my very life. If you're 30 and above, would you just stand? 30 and below, sorry. 30 and below. Oh, nearly got you. Any? Hey. So come, come, just come down here, would you? Just come down quickly, quickly, come down, come down. Quickly, come on. This is our forerunner generation right here. But we're the mums and dads. Come, 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 quickly, quickly, quickly. Prayer team, come quickly, please. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, any time, any place, anywhere. Ready for that? Any, any time, any place, anywhere. I'm going to pray just a simple prayer of, yes, Lord, I'm willing. And if you pray that prayer with me, yes, Lord, I'm willing. Come on, Cal, come here. Yes, Lord, I'm willing. God is going to record your name. And one day, he'll just give a brief knock. And he say, okay, it's time. It's your time. Between now and then, would you please get ready? Young lady, you are beautiful. What's your name? Irie. Irie? Irie. How old are you? Dips. How many? Dips. Six. We want this young lady to burn with a zeal for God, don't we? Anytime, anywhere, any place. You want to go and get your Bible and eat it. Eat your Bible. I mean, you can do the science and the history and that stuff, but eat your Bible. Get around friends who don't distract you and lead you astray. Read the biographies of people who shed their blood for Christ. Yes. Those three things. I promise you, God's going to take you. There aren't many of us on the earth who are available to go. I mean, look, 200 people here. I went to the prayer meeting this morning 
There were 10 people there. That's about 4% of the church. I want to challenge you. There's no reason why you shouldn't get out of bed earlier on a Sunday and get into prayer. Why should it be left to the people of 50 and older? They were all over 50. Some of them over 60. Some of them over 70. Some of them over 80. Why well, said, well, where are you guys? Where's Cal? I said, oh, I can't pray like those people. Oh, yes, you can. I saw you worshipping God this morning. I saw you with your eyes closed doing this. I saw you. And God saw you. And he loves it. Get to the prayer meeting. How will you learn to pray? By entering people who pray. Listen to them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sunday morning is my only day off. I mean, you know. Well, verse 8 said it. Just want, comf- just want comfort? Or is there any degree of sacrifice? Well, you know, I, I guess it's a bit boring in the prayer meeting. Well, liven it up then. Light a fire then. Go across to Tom and lay your hands on him and say, Tom, get this people moving. Set my people free. My name's Moses. I stand before the presence of God. Well, start standing. Start getting presence in you. You say, oh, you're going to be so intense. Just, I just want the boys to like me. What? Is that what we expect? to read blown? I'm, I, I, I love you. I know you hate me now, but I love you. <laughs> Put your hands in the air, please. Close your eyes. Father, it's me. The one you love. The one you chose. It's me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit right now. Fill me with the Holy Spirit right now. Cause my heart to burn. Cause my heart to burn. I'm just saying to you, God, write my name down. Here I am. I'm ready to go. Anywhere. Anytime. Any place. Write my name down, God. Here I am standing, ready. Young lady, you're going to go. Young man, you're going to go. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Deliver me from a carnal, fleshly heart. Put your fire on me. Fire in my heart. Fire in my eyes. Fire in my hands. Here I am, God. I want to represent you. I want to do your will. Deliver me. Rub out all the porn. Get rid of all of the wrong things in my heart. Oh God, cleanse me. Sanctify me. Do it, God. Here I am. Now you say with me, anytime. Any place. Anywhere. Oh, let's clap the grace of God over them. Hallelujah. Well, you say, I really missed it. All you got was the 35s and 30s and under. What about me? You come on out right now and get them to pray for you. Come on out right now. You need healing in your body. You need to respond to this message and say, in my stepping out, I am saying, God, here am I, take me. You come. And now you young people, lay your hands on these older people. Pray the fire of God. Don't be afraid. Go on. Don't be afraid. Say, I don't know what to pray. Well, just pray, God bless you. That's enough. Just do it. Musicians, come and play, please. Bring presence here. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Any more of you sitting out there, you need to step down here. You say, I'm too old. I'm too crippled. No, 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 no. Caleb was 80 years old, and he looked at the mountain, and he said, give me that mountain. I'll take that one. Please come up on the stage. Make more room here, please. Come up on the stage and make more room. That's it. Good. Pray and prophesy, young people, into these older ones. If you don't know what to pray, just say, pray, God bless you. Make sure you don't leave here without prayer. In the name of Jesus. Anytime, anywhere, any place. Anytime, anywhere, any place. Anytime, anywhere, any place. That's me, God. Oh, How about it? How about go to another nation?
Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's message of the week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.